Hello and welcome to the Gorillas Art Book Podcast. My name's Kate Bryan and I'm here to celebrate the new Gorillas Art Book, going behind the scenes with some of the artists featured. As well as never before seen work by Gorillas co-founder Jamie Hewlett, the book brings together a global lineup of artists who have all created their own interpretations of the iconic Gorillas band members. I'll be talking to a few of the artists that have contributed work to this illustrious new book, as well as a rare in-depth interview with Hewlett himself. I'll be asking the contributing artists how they arrived at their artwork and how on earth they tackled the subject of rethinking something so well known and loved. Hopefully we'll also get to the philosophical stuff. What does art mean beyond the printed page? How does it shape culture and thought more widely? I want to know the ways in which they think art can connect and inspire us. Right, let's get to it. First up, I'm joined by the British painter, illustrator and animator, Holly Warburton, who's based in Bath. Holly studied illustration and animation at Kingston University. I love the way that she creates atmospheric painterly work. There's a really successful contrast between her warm palette, it's all pinks, oranges, rich purple and blue tones, but also this distinct sense of unease. They have a very nostalgic quality to them and she brings that evocative, slightly haunting approach to her work in the Gorillas art book. Hello, Holly. Thank you so much for talking to me. Okay. I have loved looking at your creation. Let's dive straight in. Tell me about your beautiful work for the book. The piece that I made, well, I guess actually it was a series of illustrations. I decided to focus on the character Cyborg Noodle because I was very struck by this quite elusive and mysterious character in the Gorillas universe. And I guess typically when we do see her in the music videos for Gorillas, she's often not at the forefront we kind of see her with the other characters and so I guess with my pieces I like the idea of giving her the full page and just giving her the space completely to herself. I think you've you've been so successful because it feels distinctly your work you know having looked at your work spent a lot of time with it now I mean I just love what you do Holly you've got such a beautiful touch lovely consistent language and the way that you take us into these places which are kind of nostalgic and a little bit dark and you're always kind of held in suspense as a viewer so successfully. So you managed to capture all of that that we expect to see from you, but then also enter into another universe. I mean, it's it's a pretty daunting prospect. This is the gorillas. I mean, Jamie's work is known the world over. It has just so many loyal fans. It's very complex. It operates in different phases. So I imagine when you get that call as an artist, you're thinking, well, that's such a, an amazing opportunity, but also... It's a challenge. I mean, it must be a bit daunting. Yeah, well, I suppose going into it, I was aware that my personal approach, it's a little more fuzzy and blurry and soft around the edges than Jamie Hewlett's work. And so I guess I was a little unsure about what it would look like sort of bringing his vision into my world and sort of borrowing the character and putting her in quite a different format, I suppose. What I focused on was she has these quite iconic aspects to her dress and and sort of the, well, actually the particular thing was the hole in her head. And so I thought, well, as long as these kind of key elements are brought in, then I can kind of 
play around with the rest. So your work is a kind of continuation, I suppose, or a, you pick up the narrative from the Lost Chord music video. So we're in a sort of an underwater world down in a submarine. So talk us through why you chose that particularly to pick up and then how you sort of worked your way through the narrative because it's a beautiful little story that you've woven together here. Thanks. Yeah, so I guess an aspect of the cyborg noodle character that I like is, although she is a machine, she has this kind of human-like resilience to her. I can't help but read her in this quite sort of human way. And I guess... We've seen her, you know, with this hole in her head and yet still functioning. I guess having watched the Lost Chord video and seeing this moment where she just sinks into the depths, I feel like it seemed a shame to kind of completely leave it there, knowing that she's pulled through so many, in a way, worse, more chaotic moments. Yeah, absolutely, Holly. It's like she's survived worse, so don't let this be the end. <laughs> I wanted to explore the idea that she does live on. And that's that definitely seems to be something that would suit your practice. You know, you strike me, you're very good at taking something quite small and then making something quite big out of it. So in a way, I guess you had a lovely opportunity to use artistic license and, and do something pretty magical with yeah, it. Yeah, I, I suppose so. That is true, actually. I, I do quite like to take the smaller moments, I guess, in my personal work and, and yeah, extrude them into something more. And so I guess even in this sequence of illustrations that I made, there's not a great deal happening. You know, it's just her going from the depths to the surface. But I feel like by taking time and drawing out each moment of that, you can kind of turn it into something a bit more. And maybe it gives you time to feel a little bit of what she's feeling, maybe. I really like the way that, as you say, it's not there's not a huge amount happening, but each piece has got its own place in the narrative. And then you start to notice as you flick backwards that the colour palettes change. So we go from something quite dark to something light. So it's almost this kind of redemption story or something. Yeah, I guess particularly ending with, well, it could be a sunset or a sunrise at the end. We don't quite know. But I think either way that, it gives that sort of hopeful feeling of something more positive on the horizon for her. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your process. How do you create this? I know that you work both as a, what we might call a traditional painter, but also a digital painter. So tell me about how you made this piece. So this one was all digital and I spent quite a lot of time thinking about the base colour that I want to put underneath everything. A bit like you would, I guess, with a traditional painting. And then once I have that, it really affects how every layer built on top kind of shines through, I find. So I do try and, even though it is a digital process, I try and think of it in a kind of painterly way. So for those of us listening who aren't familiar exactly with how you create your digital paintings, talk us through it. Are you sort of doing a David Hockney iPad? Let us picture it with you. So I have, I work with a plug-in a drawing tablet usually with a desktop computer as well. I'm yet to actually try using an iPad, although I would like to. But yeah, I've just got this, I guess, built this setup that I'm quite comfortable with. And so it involves usually, yeah, the tablet and I work in Photoshop for the digital stuff. The sort of key element to the process is 
doing lots and lots of layers of brush strokes um, overlapping and shifting the kind of hues and tones constantly to kind of avoid large flat areas of colour, which sometimes can happen with digital art. I like to make sure there's always this texture and layering coming through. Yeah, and I find it helps to maybe blur that boundary a little bit between something that looks painted and something that's digital. Yeah, you certainly blur that boundary. I mean, I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that this art is made digitally. Tell me, though, when you're painting, you get these beautiful accidents, like a drip that you didn't intend, you know, if the paint's too watery or, you know, a lovely big impasto thick bit and you go, well, I can't do any better than that. I'll just leave it as it is. Can you have the same kind of beautiful accidents when you're working digitally? I would say yes, but I suppose they come about in a different way. So say with the whole fact that you can save versions of things and you can put things on layers that you can switch on and off. Sometimes what I find is I might say go back to a layer that I've switched off and I'll switch it back on to see maybe if it still has some potential but then you can flip it or you can move it to a different place on the canvas and so through that it's more a sort of trial and error and I suppose it's a little less natural but you can still have these slightly unintended results. So tell us how you got your start. You studied um, graphic design and illustration, is that right? Yeah, it was at Kingston School of Art and I chose to specialise in animation in, in the second year. And are you still making animations? I've seen some lovely short things on your Instagram. Thanks. Yeah, I am actually. I'd say recently in my freelance work, I'm doing a lot of music videos. That's been quite a big thing for the last couple of years. When you were creating this, could you see it animated? In your mind, do you see it as quite static, as individual frames? Or are you thinking in quite a filmic way of how they might link together in a different way of reading them? Yeah, I probably am. It's funny because I suppose to actually go back and think, <laughs> yes, I, I think I was imagining the movement and the fact that it is a sequence, how she might have moved from one to the next, because that helped me decide where to position her in each image I suppose. Yeah because it's very filmic you get different shot scenes so you've got you know close-ups extreme close-ups and then you've got you know tiny figure in the distance and the way that you've played with the watery surface like sometimes we feel like she's never going to reach the surface it's so far away and she seems so sort of subsumed in this kind of painterly underworld. I guess so I did want to sort of draw out the journey probably to suggest how far she had fallen and make it seem like a a feat to get back up there um, mm. and it's somewhat of a struggle I suppose. Your work does seem to have this current through it. I mean it's beautiful to look at. The colours are great, you know the colours remind me of a Bonnard's lovely but there's a darkness. There's quite a. There's always something quite dark at the core of almost everything I've seen, and this is particularly is very dark. You know, at the beginning, um, you're almost wondering whether or not, you know, she she no longer takes a breath, even though she's cyborg noodle. So talk to me about that idea of just existing in that slightly darker territory. It's much more than melancholic sometimes. I suppose that's part of it is it feeds into the work and I think it probably comes from a place that is not easy to vocalise because I suppose that's kind of how I get 
some of my inspiration from my work. It's that certain emotional responses I have to life or just the things that are going on. Um, I know that that can be translated into a piece and kind of help me feed it through in some kind of productive way. And I guess maybe to sort of reflect on it, I guess thinking about when I first started making pieces like this and when I was exploring digital art, I was at uni at the time and spending quite a lot of time in London. And I think there were times where I had this, I suppose that quite distinct feeling that I think other people understand, which you're in such a busy environment and you sort of feel like you're part of it, but there's this detachment or you feel like you're on the outside looking in. And I think that's something I decided to kind of make work about and maybe that comes through a little bit in even the pieces that are not directly connected to you know real observations I guess. Are you making sketches quite a lot are you always on the lookout for inspiration for work? Yeah um, so I carry around a sort of pocket-sized sketchbook pretty much wherever I go just so that I can be ready to make a sort of little I guess like it's making notes but they'll be very quick sketches instead to then hold on to that memory and take it back to the studio and work on it there. Typically I find that it can just be the things that I see on a daily basis, quite sort of, in a way, quite mundane or everyday uh, interactions between people or people on their own. Sometimes I'll notice, yeah, those are the things that I find myself drawn to when I make my little notes. You create a language where you reduce a lot of the noise. So I think it's, it's interesting that they do feel slightly timeless. I mean, there's a lot about gorillas and Jamie Hewlett's work, which has got a timeless quality to it and that sort of operates in a, a time realm that's different to our own, which gives it such an appeal. And you're, you do it in a different way, but you, even when I see works of yours which are set at a cafe, you know, I'm not reading the cafe in a particular city in a particular decade. I'm not reading people's clothing in a particular way. Like you, there's definitely a lot you leave out. And I suppose by leaving a lot out, you allow us to bring more to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I think leaving out some sort of face details or clothing, like you said, I think it allows people maybe to project their own stories a little more easily, maybe onto the figures or the, the events that are happening in my work. What surprised me, I guess, in more recent times is how much I enjoy hearing people's personal connections to some of my pieces. And yet it seems like people are able to connect in that way. So I always appreciate that. How are you feeling as the book is ready to be birthed into the world and everyone's going to see your work? Yeah, I mean, uh, I still am getting my head around the fact that I'm in the book, to be honest. Um, it feels quite surreal, but I can't wait to see sort of who else I'm in the book with and what they've made. Um, so yeah, overall it's very exciting. I'm just still kind of adjusting to the whole idea of it. <laughs> it's such a beautiful premise because what's so exciting is that there is, you know, the diversity of artistic languages in this book, but yet, you know, something unites them, which is this, you know, really glorious thing, um, you know, the gorillas and Jamie Hewlett's artwork. And I, I suppose what I find really inspiring about it is that you've all got such distinct visual languages and everyone's from different parts of the world. Everybody's come at this in their own unique way. But there's this shared sentiment and I almost think that sentiment kind of goes beyond 
the gorillas and it's just about how art is able to connect us and so in this strange you know in this it's quite a strange thing you're you're just in this book between two hard covers but sandwiched there is this sort of representation of a kind of big creative community and I wondered how it felt the idea that you know you might never meet some of these artists but you have this like shared creative experience now vicariously yeah it, it is a really nice feeling I think um well that's something that art definitely does it it transcends any kind of sort of border or barrier or oceans in between I suppose I guess to come together and appreciate uh the gorilla's universe through um, all these different I'm sure techniques that I'm yet to see but I can't wait to see yeah I just think it's a really well it, it's a unique and an exciting idea well you put it beautifully art does have that power and your work sits so well in this collection so well done Holly thank you